What would you do if someone sacrificed everything they had for you? What if they left their life goals behind in order to make your goals their own? Would you accept the responsibility of their goals? Or would you squander the opportunity they created for you? It's the life of a Donegal woman which answers these questions for us. This is her story. In Creeslock, County Donegal, in 1921, a child was born. Her name was Kathleen McNulty, better known as Kay for short. On the night she joined the world, her family found itself in turmoil, not as a result of this new child joining the family. Their troubles were far beyond the norm. This was because, as her mother was in hospital giving birth to her, her father James was being carted off to a jail in Derry. He was taken due to his training of Republicans in the hills of Donegal in guerrilla warfare tactics. He was preparing the Gales for a long and enduring battle. James himself had been involved in the failed Easter Rising of 1916. He led a group of 33 men to rebel in Donegal, but due to mixed messaging coming from the capital, their battle never really began until it was already too late. The village in which Kay was born was a Gaeltic village, and as such, Irish was her first and only language. James had some English due to having lived in America before he returned to Donegal to start his family. His return to Ireland came as a result of a direct request from rebel leader Thomas Clark. In 1919, he took a bullet to the shoulder as a result of a skirmish with British soldiers. When he was arrested, he spent two years in the Derry jail without trial. Here, he lost some of his influence over the Republican movement. On December 6th, 1921, while leading an escape from the prison where two guards were killed, he learned of the treaty between Ireland and Britain and the formation of the states of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Feeling betrayed by the terms of the treaty and disheartened by the loss of the six northern counties, James decided to leave Ireland with his family and wife Anne in the hope of a better life in America. In October 1924, Kay was brought to Chestnut Hill in Philadelphia by her parents. She, still without a word of English, found it hard to fit in. Her parents sent her to the local Catholic school where she began to learn English, but instantly found a great love for mathematics. She kept Irish as her first language, however, thinking always in English and having to translate her thoughts into English. She also insisted in praying in Irish, as, being her first language, those words held the most meaning for her. When she finished her schooling, she began her third-level college studies in the Chestnut Hill College for Women and studied every maths module available. In June 1942, she became one of a very select few women in America with a mathematics degree. Her father James was immensely proud of his daughter for what she had achieved. He himself had worked hard as a stonemason to ensure his daughter was able to reach her potential. The skin of his hands was torn and blistered after each day of work, but he never complained, as he saw each tear as a mark of the doors he was helping his daughter to open. 
As she neared the end of her degree, she began looking for jobs in maths where she could best achieve her potential. She turned down roles teaching maths in schools, as she saw these roles as roles women were forced into to try and stifle their ability. Instead, she looked towards actuarial positions. These roles, however, required a master's degree. This was something out of her reach due to the limited funds her father could gather. Instead, they managed to pool just enough to get her into various business courses to make her more employable and potentially to have her lack of a master's overlooked when she went looking for a role. She did all of this in the last few months of her original degree. James at one stage worked on at least three sites at a time during these years to raise funds. An impressive feat for a man aged 52 at the time who wasn't showing any signs of slowing down due to the motivation of his daughter's ability which was pushing him out the door every morning. Two weeks after she graduated from college, James was on a well-earned lunch break on site. As he flicked through the papers of the day, he saw an advert in the Philadelphia Inquirer. It was for jobs in the US civil service. As all the young men had left for war in Europe, they were looking for women with an ability in maths to work for the US Army to help calculate missile trajectories. He rushed home and threw it on the table. Kay picked it up and rushed out to her two friends, Francis Bielis and Josephine Benson. Both had graduated with her with their own maths degrees. A few days later, Kay and Francis met outside the Union League of Philadelphia building for an interview for the role. One week later, Kay returned home from lunch with her friend to find her father James in tears in the kitchen. In his hand was a letter. She asked him, Karata you do love, Daddy. What is in your hand, Daddy? Rinatue, Mokhalin, Arinatue. You did it, my girl, you did it. She got the job. Kay and her friend Francis were hired as sorts of human computers and were paid $1,620 annually. The pay was relatively low, but Kay was delighted to be using her knowledge of maths and doing something which really mattered and which really made a difference. Having helped achieve his daughter's goals, James soon retired. Before his retirement, however, James McNulty worked on the Bryn Athryn Cathedral, the Jefferson Memorial, the US Treasury Building and the Pentagon. They used massive mechanical calculators and extremely large sheets of columned paper when calculating the missile trajectories. Kay's role title was Computer as she was a female computing. She worked with 10 other women, also called computers, and four men in the Moore School building. Kay found the work difficult. Although she had a very strong basis in maths, she had never had to work out trajectories before, and much of the science of it was new and changing on a daily basis, and the war was moving faster than they could. They eventually found a system but each gun's trajectory took over 40 hours to calculate, and they had 1,800 to calculate in total. Fed up with how long things were taking, 74 other women joined the effort, 
but Kay and a select few others were taken to the basement of the Moore School to work on the differential analyzer, the largest and one of only three large-scale calculators in America at the time. Having spent time on this, Kay managed to bring down each calculation to as little as 50 minutes. She was promoted to supervisor and worked six days a week. By June 1945, the Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, or ENIAC for short, had been created. This was the world's first electronic computer which could understand coding. Kay and five other women were selected to be the female computers to use this electronic computer. In doing so, Kay became one of the world's first ever computer programmers. Kay worked on a programming code which became the world's first electronic computer calculator. The code, originally written in Irish and then translated back into English, was the first real coding ever to take place in the world and forms the basic structure of all code used in computing across the world today. From Microsoft to Apple, Facebook to Twitter, blogs to high-spec pharmaceutical programs, all the code used comes from Kay's creation. This code could compute the missile trajectory now in just 10 seconds. The computer itself would take two days to set up and was programmed through plugs and switches. The programmer had the responsibility of inputting the missile's data and ensuring its accuracy. Kay then, using this method, created the world's first savable computer program where data could be saved and reused to save time. When the war ended, Kay spent much of the rest of her life working as a software designer, including working on the first general purpose computer, essentially the first PC, known as Univac. In 1948, she married John Mockley, a professor at Moore Street School. They had five children together. In 1980, after several bouts of illness, John died. Kay then remarried a photographer called Severo Antonelli, but after a long struggle with Parkinson's disease, he died in 1996. Whilst Kay was caring for him, she had a heart attack. This didn't defeat her, however, as she lived on until 2006, where she died of cancer in her home in Pennsylvania. Sworn to secrecy, and due to being a woman, Kay and the other women's roles in ENIAC was hidden from the world for many years. It was not until 1997 that her story was first properly brought to the world. As for her father James, after Kay's mother's death in 1966 he returned to his beloved Donegal. He lived here for a number of years courtesy of Kay and in 1977 his body was flown back to Philadelphia be buried next to Anne and to share with her an eternity together. Today's music was written, produced and performed by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. If you want to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash We the Irish. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. Ryan is Adam Dunn. Gaurav Mahagut. Slán Anish. Thank you.